Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Our heart's desire for you is that you don't do life alone. You don't do life alone. About three years ago in Great Britain, they appointed a new cabinet member to the government. It was called the Minister of Loneliness. The Minister of Loneliness. As a matter of fact, in the two years that encompassed COVID, I don't know if you've read the stories, but life insurance companies now want to get a huge chunk of the COVID money that's left because the age of people that are working age that died went up 40%. And if you had to trace back the symptoms to those two things, it really goes back to two things. One is suicide. I've been told that for as long as uh, these numbers are being kept, the, the government has released them every year, how many suicides there are. This last year was the first year they did not release that data. Why? Because during, during COVID, let's be honest, how, how many of you remember COVID? Raise your hand. Okay. How, how many of you can say, Pastor, there was like a dark cloud, like of despair at times. I felt, raise your hand. Okay. Of course. Do you know why? Because you were isolated. Because you were not created to do life alone. None of us were. Today, I love the Bible because it addresses every key area of our life. It was, it was designed and, and, of course, written by men but who, who heard from God who designed us and who created us. Today's Bible story begins with the children of Israel. Say that with me, children of Israel. So I know that many of you came from a background where you didn't learn in Sunday school. How many grew up in Sunday school? Raise your hand if you grew up in Sunday school. Okay, about 15% of you. So I want to give you just a little three-minute journey that I've given each one of uh, our, our, our services today that will help you understand when we say the children of Israel exactly what that means. In Genesis chapter 12, God appeared to a man named Abram. Say that with me, Abram. Later, his name would be changed to Abraham. And God said, Abram, I want you to get up. He was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees, and I want you to go to a place that I'm going to give you and I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and through you, all the people of the earth would be blessed. Abram was very wealthy, so he went back and he told his wife, he said, honey, we moving. And she said, where are we going? And he said, those of you who know the story, when he said, God said, he said to God, where, where am I going? He goes, well, I'll tell you when you get there. And ever since then, men have never sought directions. So if your husband doesn't ask for directions when he wants to go someplace, it's actually biblical. But they landed in the place they landed 5,000 years ago. That place is now modern day Israel. So the land that he landed at, ended up at five over 5,000 years ago is where his descendants lived to this day. And that was restored back to them in 1948 after years of them being away from that land. That promise still given back. So Abram was mightily blessed by God. He had a lot of financial prosperity, 
But one day he said to God, he said, God, you blessed me. You've made my name great. You've done all of these things, but, but I have no children. As of right now, if I were to die, my, my servant would inherit everything that I have. And God said, Abram, I promised you that your name was going to be great, that your descendants would be more than the stars of the sky and sands of the seashore. I'm going to give you a child. And time went on. And he got to be 90 years old. Now, I want to remind you, this was pre the blue pill. So it was 90 years old, still no child, 95 years old. So all of a sudden, in his late 80s, or the, his wife comes to him and says, listen, you said that God said that we were going to have a child. We don't have a child. Listen, I have a servant. Her name is Hagar. If you go and you sleep with her because she's my servant, the child will belong to me. Now, this is always the challenge that we face, no matter who you are. The challenge is, how many of you know that God has given us promises for our life, for our children, for our grandchildren? How many of you know that God's given us promises? How many of you have promises you're still holding on to for your children, grandchildren, if you're single, for a man? All of, how many of you do? But the biggest challenge we have is sometimes when God doesn't do it in our time, we try to force it on our end. It isn't just women that do that. It's just women that say that. <laughs> Men do it. We just, we do it. We don't say it. They say it. And so he went in to Hagar. Now, again, we don't, we don't know what Hagar looked like. I mean, we don't, uh, I mean, Abram could have went, Hagar, really? Or he could have went, Hagar, all right, I'll submit myself to the Lord. We don't know what she looked like. But he goes into her and she gets pregnant and has a child and the child's name is Ishmael. And listen carefully to what I'm going to tell you. Because the Bible says that God never spoke to Abram again for 13 years. There are always consequences to disobedience. Sometimes it's delaying what God wanted to give us much earlier. And so, at 99 years old, Ishmael is now 12, going on 13 years old. The Lord appears to Abram and said, I told you you were going to have a child and it was going to be through your wife, Sarah. Next year at this time, you will have a child. Can you imagine that news? Can you imagine someone a hundred years old walking in telling you they're a daddy? Come on now. I mean, you know, men, we got a little swag. You look like a, I know y'all heard. <laughs> Amy, baby is here. <laughs> y'all, <laughs> can you imagine that? Yet, when the child is promised that it's going to come in a year, do you know what Abram said? Lord, let Ishmael stand before you. Let, let, let Ishmael be the one. Let, 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 let my best trump you're miraculous. And sometimes that's a challenge for us as Christians, whether it's our personal journey, our mate's journey, our children's journey, our grandchildren's journey. There are things that we know that God has put in our heart, but when it doesn't happen in our time, we go out and we mess things up by trying to do it on our own. And so then finally, of course, the child is born and the baby is named Isaac. So we now went from Abram in Genesis chapter 12 to Isaac. So we went from Abram to Okay, you have to follow me, all right? It went from Abraham to 
Isaac. And then Isaac has a child. And his child is named Jacob. And God is then referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When people, there was many gods during that time of the world. They said, what God is it? He goes, oh, this is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Now, Jacob later has an encounter with God in his adult life. He wrestles with an angel, and this angel says, what's your name? And he says, my name's Jacob. Now, just so you know, the name Jacob means deceiver. That's why Joseph took the offering and not me. It means deceiver. And so the angel said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but from now on, your name will be Israel. So now you've gone from Genesis chapter 12, which was then his son, and then his son, God changes his name to, and those Israel had 12 sons that became known as the 12 tribes of One of them was the guy that dressed really good. He had a coat of many colors. He was the second youngest of all of the boys. And his father gave him this coat and his brothers hated him. Guess what his name was? And his brothers hated him. And so they sold him as a slave, told his father that he died, sold him as a slave into Egypt. And there God elevated him. And he became the right-hand man to Pharaoh, saw visions and dreams, told them a family was coming, told them what to do. And Pharaoh made him under Pharaoh, the most powerful man in all of Egypt. And so when famine came, he sent for his family members and 70 of his family came. 400 years later, those 70 people multiplied to 2 million and now they were slaves and God sent a little baby boy that he pulled out of the water, brought into the desert and then came back to deliver them. What was his name? Moses. So when I talk about the children of Israel, God's people, now you know who I'm talking about, all right? That's the background for our story today. Our Bible story begins with the children of Israel, God's people, after the death of their first king, King Saul. King Saul had died now, and his son Ishbosheth is now king. Only one of the 12 tribes didn't go to follow Ishbosheth after Saul. And that was the tribe of Judah. And they chose a young giant killer, the son-in-law of Saul, to be their king. What was his name? His name was David. The commander of David's army, which he's over the one tribe, is Joab. And the commander of Ishbosheth's army is Abner. Now, here's where we pick up our story today. 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12. Now, Abner, the son of Ner, the servant of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, went from Menachem to Gibeon. And Joab, David's nephew, the son of Zeruah, and the servants of David also went out to meet by the pool of Gibeon. And they sat down with one group on one side of the pool and the other group on the other side of the pool. Then Abner the commander of Ishbosheth's army, says to Joab, let's let the young men stand and have a contest before us. And Joab said, let them stand. So they stood up and went over to fight, and the number of them was 12, Benjamin of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, and 12 of the servants of David. And each of them seized their opponent by the head and thrust a sword into their side, and all of them, 24 of them, died. Therefore, the name of that place is some big word, which means everybody died. 
Verse 17, there was a fierce battle that day and Abner and the men of Israel were beaten down before the servants of David. The three sons of Zeruah, David's half-sister, were there. Joab, commander of his armies, Abishai, one of his mighty men, and Ahisel. Ahisel was as light and swift of foot as a wild gazelle. Ahisel pursued Abner and he did not turn to the right or to the left. He's chasing the enemy's captain. Abner looked behind him and said, Asahel, is that you? And he answered, it is I. So Abner said to him, turn to your right hand or to your left. Go to one of the other young men and take their armor for yourself. But Asahel was not willing to turn away from pursuing Abner. Abner repeated again, turn away from following me. Why should I have to strike you to the ground? How in the world could I look your brother Joab in the face and look him in the eye? And Asahel refused to turn away. So Abner stuck him in the abdomen with the butt of his spear. And the spear came out of his back and he fell there and died on the spot. And it came that as all the people came about, everyone came to the place where Asahel fell and died and they stood still and... So here he is chasing him. He's fast as a gazelle. He's chasing the command. And he's saying, hey, I can't... I couldn't face your brother. Don't, 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 stop following me. But his speed was his strength. And then ultimately, it became his weakness because as he followed him, he just stuck up the butt of his spear and it went straight through him. And everybody that saw him laying there dead stopped and reflected on what happened. So today, that's what we want to do. Well, what happened to Asahel? He was fast as a gazelle. He was strong. He was from the right family. He was related to King David. He was driven. He was powerful. So with all of these attributes and family connections, how could he die? Because his strengths became his weakness. Because he thought that he was strong enough and fast enough to do it alone. And he died alone. And this has been the story of many people, especially in the last two and a half year season of the world. It's been said, if you want to travel alone, you can travel fast. But if you want to travel far, you must travel together. We all need others. God created the world. It was perfect. There was no sin in the world. And God put Adam in the center of the garden and the only paradise ever known to man. And then after God gave him everything a person could want, listen to what God said in Genesis 2.18. And God said, it is not good that a man should be what? It's not good that a man should be alone. When it's done right, a child is born to a mama and a daddy. It's brought into a family. Why? Because every one of us need family. As a matter of fact, I used to stand and speak in public schools to students from the ghettos of New Orleans to, to nice affluent areas. And I always used to stand up. And the first thing I used to say is, I know what the single greatest dream and desire is of every person in this room. And you know, you're in the hood. People are like, you don't know nothing, you know. And I would say, I'm going to tell you what it is. And I'd pause. And I would say, it's to come from a happy family or to one day be able to give your children a happy family. There is a yearning in the heart of every one of us. 
Why? Because God created you that way. This is a principle from the Old Testament through to the New Testament in all of the word of God. David's son, Solomon, was the wisest man that ever lived. As a matter of fact, when David got ready to die, he called his son Solomon in and he said, you're going to be the next king. I mean, how would you like to follow your daddy when he killed a giant at 14 years old? And you, you got to come and you got to follow up that. He united all of Israel together. He expanded them. And now you're going to be the next guy up. And so he went into the temple and he prayed and he said, God, give me wisdom so that I can know how to lead your people. My father has left me all of this. He was a man after your own heart. And God said to him, Solomon, because you didn't ask for money and you didn't ask for long life, and you didn't ask for the lives of your enemies, I'm going to give you wisdom and a long life and the lives of, uh, and the lives of all of your enemies and wealth. All of that is going to be given to you. Here is what the wisest man that ever lived said in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 7. Listen to what he says. And again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man, what's those next two words? All alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not what? Content with what? With his wealth. Because he said, for who am I toiling? And he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. A miserable business. What what was the wisest man that ever lived next to Jesus telling us? Here's what he was telling us. We were not created to be satisfied with riches. We were created to only be satisfied with relationships. I'm going to say that again. Things don't satisfy. Things don't satisfy. We were created to be satisfied only with relationships, not with riches. And then he begins to tell us why. Listen to what he says in Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12. He goes right on to say this. Two are better than one because they have a more satisfying return for their labor. And if one of them falls, the other one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and does not have another to lift him up. Again, I tell you, if two lie down together, they keep each other warm. But how can one person get warm alone? And the one can overpower him who is alone. Two can resist him. And a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. He breaks down four areas of life that we all experience at one point or another. Here's what he says. Number one, you need someone to work together with you. You know, the truth is when you have two people working together, you don't accomplish twice as much. Actually, you accomplish almost three times as much. But here's the other thing. The greatest part about work, if you have a great job, it's not what you get to do alone, but it's who you get to do it with. That is what is satisfying. It's the people that you work. I often tell our staff, people don't work for money. They work for people. You can hire someone's skill, their hand, but you can't hire their heart. You have to earn their heart by giving them your heart. Remember again, relationships don't satisfy. I mean, relationships are the only thing that satisfy. Riches don't. Number two, to walk together. To walk together. 
They ensured that if you fail, or better yet, when you fail. How many remember this commercial? Help, I've fallen and I? Apparently, the camera crew couldn't help her. (laughs) Apparently, the person that wrote the commercial could help her. And she couldn't get up. There was a whole lot of people guilty standing around. Because we're humans, we don't do some things imperfectly. We do everything imperfectly. So it's not a moment of if you're going to fail or fall short or disappoint. It's simply when. But when you fall and you have someone with you, they can pick you up. Number three, to warm together. To work together, to walk together, and to warm together. When dark times in life come, look right here at your pastor. My wife hates me to say this, but I'm an old man. I know I look like I'm 48. If you laughed, you're wrong. Can I tell you this? I've been preaching 49 years. I know the Bible reasonably well. Do you think I've ever gone through dark times when I got cold? All of us are going to go through. I have, I have the, if you ask me, how are you doing? I have a standard answer. Better than I deserve on my worst day. And I've experienced my worst day. You may not have experienced your worst day yet. But let me share something with you. You do not get to choose if you walk through the dark seasons of life. Everybody's going to walk through them. But you do get to choose in advance who gets to walk with you through them. You do. Without the people in my life, I would have fallen a thousand times. I would have failed as a husband. I would have failed as a father. As a matter of fact, the devil was pretty good at telling me I wasn't good at either one of those anyways. How about you? But with someone there that can warm you when you get cold, when it gets dark, when things get difficult, when you're just laid out. Then finally, to war together. To war together. Different translations say defend, withstand, resist. Sometimes resisting the enemy is is the inner me. Sometimes there's voices that speak to me. You you can't do this. You're going to fail. You you can't make it. No, they they don't care for you. Does anybody hear those voices besides me? And and, and sometimes the enemy is the wounds of my past. Sometimes the rearview mirror of what happened to me in my past is bigger than the windshield that's right in front of me and where I'm going. Sometimes it is. But it's so amazing when you have people that are with you that can war with you and that can remind you who you are. Hey, you're amazing. Hey, you're not perfect. But progress is not measured by where you are. It's measured by where you came from. And you're a long, long, long ways from where you used to be. You're a long ways from what your mom and dad were. You're a long ways. Sometimes we need people that love us enough to grab us and go, you're going to make it. 
And then to say this, and I'm gonna stand right beside you to make sure you do. We all go through moments like that. No matter how strong you are, no matter who you are, we all go through moments like that. Solomon again reminds us life is not about riches. It's about relationships. Someone said some people are so poor when they die, all they leave their children is money. I want it to be not what I leave to my children, but what I leave in my children. I I want them to, I want my children to be old men and go, you know, my daddy used to say, a man is only as good as his word. You know, my daddy used to say, you just do the right thing. And it'll take care of itself. Everything will. The basis of Christianity is the life of Christ. And what Jesus modeled, Jesus meant for you and me. Say that with me. What Jesus modeled, Jesus meant. He meant for you and me. So how did Jesus operate when he was on earth? Now, we only know two things about the life of Jesus before 30. Everything that happened when he was born, the Timothy, the wise men, we know that. And then the Cajun miracle, where he turned water into wine. People don't know anything about the Bible in South Louisiana. No, Pastor Jesus turned water into wine. Yeah, but you're drinking a margarita. Well, that's kind of like wine. You hear the people laughing? I'm just saying. You, You know what Jesus did? If you look at the life of Jesus, when he began his ministry at 30, okay, The first thing that happened after he was baptized by John in the wilderness, and God said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, listen to him. The next thing that happened is he went into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And you know when the devil tempted him? When he was hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. Talk to any addiction specialist. That's halt, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. That's the time when you want to sit in front of the TV and eat Blue Bella ice cream by the gallon. That's the time when you're tempted to hit on porn. That's the time when you're tempted to overdrink. That's the time when you're tempted to overeat. It's all of those things at that moment. And now Jesus has 500 that were a group of people. When Jesus rose from the dead, he appeared to over 500 people multiple different times. Then there was the 70 that he sent out two by two to preach the gospel. He gave them power over demons, but he knew even though they had power over the devil, they still needed encouragement by having somebody else with them. And then he had the 12, his boys. And then he had the three. Listen to this in Mark chapter 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named what? Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here and pray. And then he took with him Peter and, and, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. The word Gethsemane means oil press or crushing. We are going to go through pressing times. We are going to go through crushing times. Even Jesus, who was God in the flesh, needed people with him when he was going through the difficulties of life. So do you. If Jesus needed help when he was going through difficult times, Mr. Boudreaux does too. 
I do too. You do too. We all need people in our lives. So what Jesus modeled, he meant. You know, we live in a day and age where people think they don't need to be in church. They, they don't need this. People tell me this all the time. Pastor, I think I can be a Christian and I go to church. Matter of fact, I saw a guy, he helped me move one time and he goes, you know, I'm a member of your church. I said, really? What campus do you go to? He said, oh, none of them. I said, well, uh, where do you send your giving? He goes, oh, to none of them. I said, so let me get this right. You're a member of our church, but you don't financially support it. You've never attended it. He goes, yeah. I said, thank God I don't have a bunch of them like you. There wouldn't be a building. Then people say this, pastor, just me and God, me and God. That's all I need is me and God, me, me and God, me and Jesus. I've already established that Jesus didn't do it alone. But even God has God the, God the, and God the. So even God doesn't do God alone. Men, let me talk to you a minute. Because we're strong, right? Come on. Mexicans invented macho. Brothers hijacked it with gold teeth but it's really ours. But my macho is, you, you, you don't want to tell people that you're struggling. Look right here and listen carefully to your pastor. Only weak men are strong enough to think they can do life alone. I can't. I've pastored the richest and poorest people in our community. They can't. Neither can you. Can I tell you something that's amazing? Do you know half the problem is solved when you tell somebody what's going on? Men, look at me. The Bible calls women the weaker vessel. That has to do with physically and emotionally what they can bear. One of the mantras that I give our staff all the time is when you're in over your head, go over your head. Meaning if something's overwhelming to you, just, just go to your direct report. Keep, just keep going. So there's some, you're not the first person that's ever gone through this. Somebody has walked through this before. Okay? But the enemy's lie is, no, no one's done that. No, you're the only one that's ever gone through this. So, so you know what happens, man? I want you to listen to what I'm going to say because it's so powerful. If I don't go to someone who's stronger than me, that's maybe walked through stuff or older than me, then you know who I end up going and dumping on? My wife. So instead of going up, I go down. And if it's overwhelming for you, what do you think it is for her? I'm not talking about making decisions about money, about making decisions that are priorities, things you need to pray about and share with you. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when something's overwhelming to you. Why in the world would you want to dump it on somebody who can't handle it? Who can't handle it? Pastor, do you practice that? You better believe your everything you have I do. My children are here. My adult children are here. We've never made a major decision in our lives in regards to them without us going to my pastor. 
Never. You know why? Because I'm smart enough to know I'm not smart enough to know. Some of you, Shai, are not that smart. I'm not saying, I'm just saying. The 500 is you gathering here like this today. How many of you are always encouraged when you come to church? Raise your hand. You're encouraged. Okay, listen to me. When you get in a community and you start hearing people go, you too? I've gone to that. Can I tell you who struggled with lust? Every single man with two legs. If you have one leg, you still struggle with lust. You're just <laughs> hopping around. When I see people that are just act like they're whole pastor, Pastor Shirley, you have never, uh, no. My life is so broken. My daddy married five times. My sister's pregnant 13, 14, and 15. I grew up around prostitution, immorality, naked. I hate it. And yes, I've been tempted many, many, many times. We all need others to walk with us. How many here, be honest with me and say, during COVID, I was depressed? Raise your hand. Listen, that's all of us. How many of you, you, you got angry? You gained a lot of weight. You got frustrated. You were filled with anxiety. Come on, raise your hand. That doesn't mean we're crazy. That means we're human. But you only become crazy when you listen to voices that sit there and tell you by yourself that you're the only person going through this and nobody else is. Solomon, this man, the wisest man that ever lived next to Jesus, said there's nothing new under the sun. Nothing. So today, I want to tell you about the multiplicity of opportunities that we have for you to join a small group. First of all, they're going to put a number up on the screen. If you want to be a part of a small group and you don't know, you're going to be able to find out when you go outside in the areas where smalls group, but take a picture of that and you can text that. We encourage everyone to go through a freedom group. Maybe you're struggling with addiction. Devin, stand up. Devin ran a 70 bed treatment center and is a professional. He doesn't do anything. Anybody struggling with addiction we go immediately to Devon. And then from there, we have Michael Hankins. We raised, you gave $100,000 so we could send people to Christ-centered drug treatment all across the country. We have all the names. We have all the places. And as soon as you identify them, we'll send Devon, get Michael on it, and get them help. That is the plague of our day. It's the plague of our day. So they have freedom groups for people struggling with addiction. He's also a professional. We have two others that do that as well. Also, you can go to the website. Join groups. Do we have the website? Okay. Just the number. Okay. But ladies, y'all get to double dip because you might be in a small group. And guess what? Miss Michelle and Haley Strider are going to start a women's Bible study September 22nd to October 28th, every Thursday night. The ladies OSC. Can I tell you this? Let me just tell you something. There are some real babes that come to this church. 
I'm telling you, the best-looking women in Acadiana come to our Savior's church. And people that are built like me and H.J. So that's it. And then, of course, men. These are Bible studies that happen throughout the week. There's 60 to 100 men in each one of these. So if you can't get in a small group, attend one of these. Or maybe you could double dip and do them both. And then, of course, starting on the 7th, 7th, we're going to start Wednesday night services. The reason we want to do that is we want to give time to wait. We want to let the Holy Spirit move. We want to pray for the sick. We want Whatever it is that God wants to do, we're just going to wait, worship, show up, and enjoy the presence of God together. Now, look at me. Is this okay today? This is kind of like a family meeting. The big brother was here last week, but daddy came. And I want to tell you, we've been walking. September will be 23, the 23rd anniversary of our church. 24th, I'm sorry. Time passes quick when you're having fun. I have watched people make it and I've watched people fall away. And I want to give you a little Sheep Shepherd 101, okay? If you are a wolf, you know what the goal is? You know, sheep have no defense mechanism. Did you know that? All they have is, that's why it's so aggravating. So what happens is shepherds, are there watching the flock and if a wolf comes in to try to get one of the sheep the sheep start going meh, meh, meh. so guess what all the wolf has to do is get a sheep far away from the flock so that when it cries there's nobody there to hear it we need community we need other people we need spiritual family I lead two small groups one, I lead on uh, Tuesday morning at 5.45 in the morning. Michelle and I have led a marriage small group. People that have sat in church for years. You know what happened at the end of our last, we had a dinner, Michelle cooked. One couple said, we have been married for 20 years. We have not slept in the same bed for 17 years until this small group. Four children, we have not stayed in the same bed because of this small group and which y'all have helped us with. The lady said with tears in her eyes, I got my husband back. We're sleeping in bed together again. So whatever you need, a marriage group, you can still lead a group. We'll give you the materials, all of it. All you have to do is be willing to connect. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the amazing people in this room. Thank you for the privilege that it is to be their pastors and to help guide them and to direct them. Father, today, I pray that we would take down some of the barriers of our insecurities, hurts of the past, people that have violated or disappointed us. We keep punishing the people that are in our life now for what people in our past did to us before. I pray there are people here that would take that first step to become a part of a small group to get connected and to begin to find people that are their people that can walk with them so that they can not only experience it on the weekend 
but they can experience it every day through fellowship with people walking with them, warming them, warring for them. And now with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you the most important question in the world. Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless a person was born again, they wouldn't see the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, unless you're born again, you won't enter into the kingdom of heaven. And then he said, don't be surprised that I tell you, you must be born again. I can't think of a waking moment in my life when I didn't believe in God, but I wasn't born again until I prayed in junior high school with an African-American counselor to surrender my life to Christ. And that day, the old Jacob died. And Christ came to live inside of me. My sins were forgiven. My past was put behind me. And I wasn't perfect at that moment. But progress began that day. It's never stopped. All these years later, have you been born again? You say, Pastor, how can I do that? It's as easy as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner. B, believe that Jesus Christ became your sin bearer. He died for your sin so you wouldn't have to die with your sin. And C, confess Christ as your Lord and Savior as you turn away from sin to be born again through repentance. So if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I've never prayed to be born again. It only happens once, just like the day you were born. Then I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, if that's you, I'm going to be the only one looking. I want you to lift your hand real high. And by doing that, you're simply saying, Pastor, would you pray for me? I've never prayed to be born again today. I want to pray to be born again. I want Christ to come live inside of me through the power of the Holy Spirit. I want to know my sins are forgiven. I want to know God. One, God brought you here. Two, nothing is ever an accident. Nothing. All the circumstances that led you here now are not an accident. This is the moment God's been waiting for. Three, if that's you, lift your hand high. Yes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. Anywhere else? Okay, you can put your hands down. Last ten seconds. Pastor, I didn't raise my hand with these fifteen, but I should have. My heart's about to beat out of my chest. I know this is what I need. I didn't raise my hand, but I should have. I want you to raise it and wave it at me right now. I'm asking this last ten seconds for you. Okay, sixteen. Anywhere else? Seventeen. Eighteen. 19, 20. All right. Now, church, let's pray out loud. We're going to join all of you that raised your hand to pray this prayer to be born again. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my guilt, my sin, and my shame, and you died for it. I believe you faced hell for me so I would not have to go. And you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with your Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn away from sin to be born again. Today, God is my Father, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm born again in Jesus' name. Amen.